Why haven't you checked the children? They're coming to get you, Barbara. <laughs> the power of Christ is around you! For a slice of fried gold. Yeah, boy! <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's brilliant. Uh, Enjoying that last clip there, Alan. I quite enjoyed the first clip. I think that was from the uh, original When a Stranger Calls. Oh, really? Uh, I think that's the only clip I didn't immediately know. Yeah, I, th- I believe it's from that. Which is not a very good film by any stretch of the imagination, but the first, like, 20 minutes or so are fantastic. I, I really like that uh, spooky theme sent into us by the one, the only, theme meister, Tomo Fallows. Setting the tone for this year's annual Halloween spooktacular um, special. Halloween! Podcast of horror, whatever we... This is this year's official Halloween special. We've done like three or four horror films in a row at this point. But <laughs> this, this is this is the canon Halloween special 2018. All right. Do, oh wait, who are we? Uh, I'm Calvin. Who who are you two? Who are you? You're not even on this show anymore. I know. <laughs> it's the ghost of Calvin Dyson. Ooh. No, no, no. I'm Calvin Dyson. <laughs> Your soul. I'm the ghost of Calvin. Ooh. Hello. No, I, I'm Sol. As, and I'm Alan. As ever. Are you? As ever. Yeah. Uh, so what are we doing then? Well, yeah, we're doing Reanimator. Uh, I don't know there's, why. There's not a new one out, is there? No, no, no. Horror. We just kind of... I don't know. We, we, we wanted... I think our Halloween episodes are kind of... As in our proper Halloween specials, I think we've sort of ended up doing a classic from the archive horror film with no real prospects of a sequel. It's it's kind of a weird fluke that we did the original Halloween the first time and then they ended up making a sequel out of the blue. I don't think people were really mm. expecting that. We were looking at all the big franchise horror films. You've got, uh, you know, all the other big slasher films, but we didn't want to get you know, too bogged down with those, seeing as we would have just done the Halloween episode a few weeks ago, still available on dimreturns.com. And we we thought about maybe the George Romero dead films that certainly I want to do at some point, but then I, I feel like they're going to need more than one episode to really cover. So mm. I don't know. Um, it just kind of came up and I think Alan was on board with it. <laughs> That's basically what happened. <laughs> That's, That's pretty much our decision-making process. Mm. So yeah, Reanimator. Um, mm. I think I was keen to do some sort of zombie film because I, I feel like they've been a bit neglected on this show. We've we've only done what Resident Evil, and I feel like we did another one. I want well, I oh Evil Dead you. if they can if they can. Well, this is uh, what I wanted yeah. to ask you in in your Ooh, as, a, as a zombie they, they uh, as, as a zombie canon expert. What's your definition of what classes a zombie? Um, I, I have quite a broad definition. I, I know a lot of people will say it's a, a reanimated corpse, but... Um, so, like, for example, 28 Days Later wouldn't count with that because they're just infected with a virus, aren't they? Yeah, they but I, I would... Or does the virus kill them and then they come back to life? Not in, twi- no, in 28 Days Later, they're still alive. Um, but does that but, ca- do they count as zombies, then? I'd say so, but 
like I say, a lot of people would say it just means reanimated corpse, but that is a um, that's something of a modern bastardization of the word that's come about from its use to refer to reanimated corpses in pop culture Mm -hmm. as a result of night of the living dead um i think really the word originally just kind of meant uh uh being well kind of like a being without like cognitive faculty over their body you know without awareness of what they were doing but animated and and out and about doing stuff so you know i I think it's very broad because because i think 28 days later absolutely is a zombie film the quote-unquote zombies the infected in it are absolutely acting without their full mental ability they're they're clearly out of character and not quite thinking straight because they starve to death eventually you know uh you know regardless it hits all the other tropes and cliches of the genre you know, um, All of Me, no. which is a film where uh, Steve Martin is inhabited by the by the consciousness of Lily Tomlin, and she takes <laughs> over his body. <laughs> oh, that is that what that's called? I, I have seen that. Isn't that called The Man With Two Brains? That's a similar but different Steve Martin film. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, he's done, he's done more than one film about a guy with a woman's consciousness going into his head he does a lot of things where he's like doing his physical comedies isn't he so he's like got two people in one body Uh... all right uh (laughs) no i don't think that counts because i don't know i I think possession isn't if someone's like acting in a a a thoughtful capacity i don't think it really quite counts but i think like i say it's a very it's a very broad definition i i don't think i i'm i'm very open to including practically anything with a mm. living dead if there are or people that are just kind of going to attack you i was going to um ask actually because it's funny that we started talking about classifying it as a zombie film because re-watching it i've seen it a few times before but i've never really considered it a zombie film mm. um much like i've just i i don't know i guess because it is sort of an updating of frankenstein which i know yeah. is a zombie tale um but i just think of it along those lines it um, was very specifically written this is the hp lovecraft uh short that it was mm. based on was very specifically written as a parody of frankenstein um mm. it was written to basically take frankenstein and put a load of gore in it and just make it into pulpy mm. trash as uh i don't know i don't know if hp lovecraft was sort of trying to critique frankenstein and he didn't had it out for mary shelley and didn't appreciate her writing i don't really know what he was trying to achieve with it but <laughs> Well, you are probably... I don't know, Alan, have you read any H.P. Lovecraft? I know that Saul is I'm quite I'm not funny. an expert, no. Saul's the man to mm. ask here. Have you read the original Reanimator story? Yes. Yes, I have. Ah. And is it anything like the movie that we're going to be talking about today? It sort of is, yeah. It's it's a lot closer than you'd imagine. I, I saw the films hmm. before I read it. I think these films were my first ever real exposure to Lovecraft. Uh, and I didn't really know who he was. I think everyone was making a big thing out of it being H.P. Lovecraft's reanimator and things like that. And I just thought, who the hell is this guy? Uh, and I didn't really pay any attention until years and years later. I think it might be that South Park episode when Cthulhu showed up that was the first time I really kind of thought, hang on, who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing that you go, I need to know more about this. I need to understand what joke I'm missing out on here. I wasn't missing out on any jokes by not knowing the guy who wrote the thing Reanimator's based on. (laughs) 
And anyway, I realized, oh, it's, you know, that's where the Necronomicon and Evil Dead's come from, and that's where this and that and blah, blah, blah's come from. Um, and I started reading some of it, and I, I really do love his writing style. I, I think it's wonderful. He's very grandiose and big words for the sake of it, and it's all about the descriptions, but the, the way it's put together is just fantastic. Um, hmm. And so, I, you know, I've not read a huge amount of his work, but I've read a fair few. Uh, I don't think he ever wrote a full-length book. I think they were always short stories. I think the closest he ever came to a a novella, even, was uh, At the Mountains of Madness, is it called? Which is something Guillermo del Toro was trying to get off the ground as a film for, for years and years and years. Mm. I think he's finally given up on it, sadly. Yeah, I I I read uh, Reanimator purely because I've got a big HP Lovecraft anthology with basically everything he ever wrote in it, almost. And I'm I'm just working through it very slowly. It just so happens that Herbert Lovecraft Reanimator is the shorts called, I think. Herbert Lovecraft. Uh, I don't think that's what it's called. Shit, shit. <laughs> Herbert West Reanimator. Sorry. Um, just so happens it's quite near the front, so it was one of the first ones I read. And uh, yeah, it, it is surprisingly similar, because I thought, having seen the films and them being so comedic, and having read all these other Lovecraft shorts leading up to it, the vast majority of which are very, oh, I stumbled upon an old temple and it was full of spooky things that suggested these big gods used to exist, and then I ran away scared. Um it's very out of character for his writing to not be big and existential. And I, I just kind of assumed, oh, they made it into a comedy and, you know, added all these jokes. It's actually a lot closer than I thought. It's a pretty damn faithful mm. adaptation of his, his writings. It's obviously been modernized and updated and there's, mm. there is more humor to the film. The short isn't really massively humorous other than being a bit over the top with its violence and stuff. Um mm. Essentially, Reanimator is the first three chapters, I think, of a six-chapter serial. I I, I think it was mm. published uh, in issues of a magazine each month. It was one of these things where, um, mm. you know, like a lot of older books and things were just written month to month in magazines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Charles Dickens wrote things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, oh, They all did back mm. then. Because there wasn't exactly a big market for novels. <laughs> yeah. So mm. I think it's expensive. just the, the first three chapters, if I recall, of pretty much um, the that's, film. That's interesting what you say about mm. the tone of it, because I found the film, particularly the first one, quite difficult to pin down in terms of its tone, because mm. it obviously was mm. funny, but it was it was felt like it was playing it straight, but so yeah. straight that it was funny and it knew it was. It was quite an odd one to pin down. And that makes sense if the source material is quite over the top mm. deliberately, and they're kind of making it in a kind of, we know we can't yeah. take this too seriously kind of way. It is an odd tone to it. It works. I, I agree with you. It, it's it. It's a really odd tightrope walk. I think that the film. Yeah, walks yeah. Balance is the in. word I used. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and like you say, it does work, but I can't quite figure out how it works because it almost shouldn't. Um, but yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, cards on the table, straight up. I love this film. Um, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> so that's that's me. <laughs> uh, my cards on the table are, are the same. I, I absolutely love this film. But just to your point about 
tone and how they, they did a really good job like walking that tightrope and I do wonder if like going to the behind the scenes material and stuff Stuart Gordon um, was originally a theatre uh, director oh, really? and him and right. a bunch of people like you know would run this small theatre and they got talking to some people so oh you guys should make a movie and they were like oh, okay well uh, we've got this you know let's do HP Lovecraft because I think someone was a fan Anyway, they they were uh, recommended that they make a horror movie. They wanted to do it as a series originally. They wanted to do a six-part sort of um, PBS, American Network uh, series, but no one was buying it, so they changed it into a movie. And judging from all the -the behind-the-scenes stuff, they basically, like, did, like, rehearsals, like what you'd do for a play, Mm. but for the film. So it wasn't just a case of turning up on set every day, oh, how are we going to do this, how are we going to... It was all, like, incredibly well-prepared. Um, and I think that that went a long way to helping maintain the tone and consistency all the way through that everyone knew kind of what movie they were on before it even started filming. Because I think if yeah. you were an actor showing up at the set, you know, day one on the set, it, it might take a bit of time to get used to exactly how broad do I play this? Because I think yeah. everyone, even some of the more wooden uh, characters, which I think we'll get into, they, they play it just the right amount of straight. Mm. What is the right amount of straight, Calvin? Oh, I wouldn't know. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's it's Bruce Abbott. Bruce Abbott is just the right amount of straight. <laughs> Jeffrey Combs is the opposite. I don't know. Uh, General overview. I I really enjoyed it. I'm not I'm not going to say it was the best thing ever. I but I kind of enjoy it as uh, a product of its time. It's it's. it's it's silly, but it gets away with it. Uh, yeah, I liked it. Do you know, yeah, guys? It's not blowing me away or anything. If you look this film up on Rotten Tomatoes at the minute, then the fifth review down on the left-hand side I wrote. What? Oh, really? When did you write it? Uh, June. <laughs> or it was published in June. Should we go and have a look, or is it just going to be what you're talking about now? Just thought I'd mention it. I'm just having a look. Oh, no, like, no, oh, no. Man. Congratulations. Well, Saul, I, I don't know if you remember this, but you recommended this film to me uh, ages ago at university. Did I not make you sit down and watch... Was it not like, a, oh, let's watch Reanimator? I, I don't remember, but I... No, no, no. I, I remember watching it by myself uh, and then telling you how much I loved it. At least I think I did. Because I do love uh, Frankenstein stories. Mm. And I'm just thinking again then about the differences between a Frankenstein story and a zombie story. I, Because I, I think generally in a zombie movie... Frankenstein's a kind of zombie. I'm a zombie. What's that hanging down between your legs? It's a flax off a mini cattle. It's supposed to be a tail. (laughs) Zombies don't have tails. All right, it's inconsistent. Zombies, by their very nature, are inconsistent. They're a mishmash of different bits. No, that's Frankenstein. Right, you've made two glaring errors. (laughs) Error one, right, Frankenstein is the name of the creator, not the monster. Right, error two, right, Frankenstein is a zombie, right, he's a type of zombie. Like people who say Tannoy when they mean public address system. Tannoy is a brand name. (laughs) By definition, it is a zombie film. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's arguably, you know, more of a zombie film than a lot of films that are mm. considered zombie films. But I I know what you're getting at. I think when you think zombie film, you think apocalyptic um sort of plague Lots spreading of viral contagion well i think the difference is that often in those kinds of movies the zombie outbreak is either like as a result of an evil you know experiment gone wrong or an accident or something like this but the di- the difference is that in reanimator and frankenstein you have 
people who want to create life. And that's the difference. They're not looking to uh, infest the world mm. with terrible I know, creatures I, I, or anything. I've definitely seen films where people are looking actively to create zombies and then it goes wrong. I, 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 re- I think it's just because you're dealing with one or two zombies at a time and when they come back, mm. they're only they can't create more zombies. They can't turn you into a zombie. And the reason I think this kind of does comfortably come under the zombie banner is because at the end, in the third act, you have a you know a shitload of zombies compared to the amount of people in the mm. film overall, and you do get that kind of zombie mayhem. But were it not for yeah. that third act, I, I don't know. I think maybe I would struggle to think of it as a zombie film as well. I, I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. Should we um, recap the plot a bit for the sake of people who haven't yeah. seen this movie, just very briefly? Okay, so... Because um, there's not much to it, really. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is kind of just Frankenstein. Um, it's yeah. this scientist who's um, kind of a, a maligned figure within medicine. He's, he's infamous, well-known for his mm. crazy experiments on trying to cure death, which he believes to be not a permanent state. Um, and essentially he's figured out how to do it, but he hasn't figured out how to do it in a way whereby the person doesn't come back as a violent maniac trying to <laughs> attack and yeah. kill anyone uh, in their path. Um, I think they they verbalize it as, you know, you can't bring the soul back or something nonsense like that, I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, that's essentially it. He just kind of continues his experiments, and, and we're, what, we're... we're given two young and attractive people to kind of latch on to, because God forbid <laughs> well, we'd not be given I was a about, protagonist. I was about to say, Saul, you positioned that plot summary as if Jeffrey Combs's Herbert West character <laughs> is the main character, but he is really a supporting player. <laughs> mm. And interestingly, the director talked about, because apparently this movie was like two and a half hours, three hours long in its first cut, and it really found its feet in the editing room when they realised, oh, actually... This guy and um, the older, like, uh, what he's not the Dean, but the David Gale character, Dr. Um, Hill? Dr. Hill, yeah. That they were so... Propane sort of and you know, propane accessories. <laughs> they, I'm a doctor of propane. So, <laughs> that they were so um, interesting and engaging that the movie was sort of recut to make them more prominent because there was originally a lot more stuff mm. of uh, Bruce Abbott and Barbara... Crampton's Trumpton, character, yes. who are just your very bland yeah, love interest. Yeah, yeah, very boring. And weirdly, the story revolves around these. They're two, you know, adults. They're in their twenties, and yet, yeah, the whole world seems extremely concerned with whether they're sleeping together, uh, how seriously they're taking yeah, it's it. Very high school, isn't it? It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird. <laughs> I mean, it was the eighties, but it's not the seventies. I mean, come on. Height of the AIDS panic, you know? Promiscuity wasn't (laughs) cool anymore. And her dad is the Dean. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Ultimately, they're just there to set up old Herbert West. Yes. Mm. Jeffrey Coombs in his career-defining role. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you think Um, it's odd? Jeffrey Coombs... He seems like one of those people who should turn up more just on, like, you know, in an episode Absolutely. West Wing yes. or something he like that. Really, well, he, he does occasionally... He, he, that's where he seems to pop up, is American TV dramas. Just but not that randomly. Much. He does a lot of, like, low-budget crap. He's That's it. He strikes me like he ought to turn up in 
b-movie horror films that are like who can we afford who's a horror mm. legend that you know the same sorts of stuff that tony todd always pops up in or yeah. um jason muse occasionally when he, he's looking for a paycheck you, you know that kind of low-end schlocky film that kind of or you know um and it's weird he, he seems to be doing the american tv drama circuit just as a jobbing actor and it's a real shame because he's He's not a one-trick pony by any stretch of the imagination. Mm. If you if you've seen the Frighteners, he's by far oh, and yes. away the best thing in it. You just don't get it, do you, Frank? This is all about your pathetic need for self-glorification. You are such an asshole. Yes, I am. I'm an asshole. The new thief. Again, a fantastic mm-hmm. performance. Not the same as Herbert West, really. Uh, completely mm. going for it, and so he's he's very a very capable comic performer. Like I, it's not like he's the most amazing actor or anything, but yeah, he should. I feel like he's not exactly on the same level as like Robert England, is it? It's like he's better than that. But, oh yeah, he's a hell of a lot better than that. Does he do? Uh, does he do the old convention circuit? Is he living off that? Well, or? this is it. I don't know. I don't. I, th- oh, I, I would imagine. I'm he sure does. he could make a decent living off it if he wanted to. I don't know if he does. I almost get the impression that he's. I don't know. He doesn't seem to milk it like he might the franchise. But then at the same time, you know, I'm sure if they let him do a fourth one tomorrow, he'd sign right up. So I, I don't know. It's difficult to figure out. But no, I, I do think. I, I mean, I think he makes this film. I, I think he is fantastic. Um, he's got a real presence to himself. Like he really sells this character, and a lot of the deliveries are things that wouldn't be funny if he didn't deliver it in a very yes. specific way. That makes it just fantastic. You weren't home, so I put it in there. I certainly didn't think you'd want to find it like that. I did not want to stink the place up. I was going to show you. You couldn't call or write a note. I was busy pushing bodies around, as you well know. And what would a note say, Dan? Cat dead. Details later. He's everything's straight, isn't it? Everything's dead. Yeah. He, he he never cracks a joke. Mm. Um, mm. It's all mm. played completely straight. I mean that that makes it work. Yeah. 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 But oh, he's he is fantastic, and and I I love the darkness that they can give that character because he isn't the protagonist. Um, mm. I don't mm. think they would have had the balls to do it if he was. Uh, but you know, because you you do never know if he killed that cat or not. It's heavily implied that he did. I just, I, you know, I like that they're willing to let stuff like that linger. And yeah, hmm. but the, the, I think the way the reason his over the whole three films, he never quite comes across as evil. Like he takes advantage of oh, the yeah, situation. He's, yeah, but yeah. he's never. And if he even at the points when he occasionally kills people. They're always like really nasty people. And yeah, yeah. And he he he's very selfish. He acts in 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 the in his in his kind of an immediate sense. Uh, you know, make sure he gets away. But yeah. he's he believes in his work as well. He believes that he's trying to do something that's for the greater good. Yeah, he's trying to cure death. It's arguably the the greatest medical breakthrough in the history of medicine. You know, he's he's trying to do a a great thing for humanity, and you get the sense that he's a bit obsessed with his work, and he'll lose sight mm, of the a bit. <laughs> well, you know, you get the impression that he's completely lost sight of anything close to ethics because of the bigger pictures in front of him, and I think that's very understandable. Not that I condone his actions, yeah. 
oh no, but this was going to be my question. Like, why is he even doing it? Because yes, he wants to have this big medical breakthrough. I never get him as I never get the sense of him as someone who wants it for fame and glory and to be mm. written about in textbooks forever. I think a lesser screenplay would have had, you know, like. What's the name from Deep Blue Sea? Why does she want to cure yeah. Alzheimer's? Oh, because my dad well, died of it. Blah, blah, blah. We never get that from him either. The good thing about this the script, the first film, is that Dr. Hill fills that role. Uh, yeah. And Dr. Mm. Hill is the asshole. All the propane <laughs> I can buy. So he falls in the middle. He's neither villain nor mm. hero. Um, he's mm. the kooky scientist guy. And, and, and that's why it works, I think, because they've created a character to take that on so he doesn't have to. Yeah, but, but but that still doesn't answer what his motivation is. I, I don't know if it's entirely necessary, but... I think his motivation is curiosity. I, mm. I get the impression that the way it's played, it's meant to be that he'll justify it as being for the greater good and so on. But I think it really yeah. comes down to, holy shit, can you believe I can do this? What about if yeah, this definitely, happens? And, because... I, and I think that's very believable as a... Mm. Motivated. Because he, oh, because I like he it. comes across yeah. as very sociopathic as well. Like, yeah, he he never mm. has any. He only ever sees these bodies as things. It's not. It's not a person. And that's He's incredibly pointed by the other yeah. whoever the other person is with him in the different films, mm. being incredibly overly emotional and ridiculous. Mm. So, so he he's definitely sociopathic in that sense just quite unemotional. So I don't think he particularly wants to save the world or save humanity. It is just like. I can have this power, I can create this thing, and, and that's what I'm going to do. Mm. Because the only human, well, actually, only the being um, in any of the films that he seems to re- sort of even remotely care about is the uh, Bruce Abbott character, Dan, who's your sort of star protagonist, I guess. He's the only one who, and I'm not quite sure why he sort of attaches on to him, if it's just that he thinks he's in a, you know, he needs an assistant, so this guy will do, mm. or um, or, or what the, if he's got a crush on him, like, what exactly the motivation is behind having this guy as oh, yeah. his assistant. I but... think it's pure, again, like Alan said, I, I think he's painted as a psychopath, uh, sociopath, I think he's painted as someone who's extremely manipulative and will and opportunistic mm. as well, and we'll just kind of jump on any chance that comes his way. And this this young guy um, offers up a great deal of you know o- opportunity for him to further mm. his work. And basically, the guy goes down into the basement. The cats come back to life. That's the point at which <laughs> that's it, a great scene. Yeah. Oh my god, it's fantastic the way it's shot and staged and lit. Get out of here! One of many scenes of a of an actor with a puppet in their hands. Yeah, about. You get a lot of that. <laughs> it is great. It's, it's just again, it's just the bit where they just think fuck it and just throw the cat against the wall. And it's just a bit brain <laughs> just left lingering. There. Yeah, because obviously the cat has been injected with this thing, which means it can't die or, or it is dead but animate. So in order to stop it, they have to snap its back. <laughs> so and it's, it's, so it's this really ropey. Salem Saberhagen puppet as well. It, 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 it looks ridiculous. Um, but yeah, basically that's the point at which the guy is made to see, oh, he can bring the dead back to life, therefore I'm on board with this research. And then at that point it becomes this big thing of um, trying to do the research. Dr. Hill tries to like blackmail and steal the research, and so Herbert West kills him. 
And even in, uh. in even that, um, the Doctor Hill, we we get uh, whenever he's filmed, it is like a 1930s Universal horror film. It's like you know this um, yeah. the shaft of light on his eyes, very close up and menacing and. And then he, they use that because he starts like hypnotizing people. Oh. Look out! <laughs> it's really interesting that you picked up on that because I never considered it until I watched some of the behind the scenes stuff and a lot of the material that was cut did have him sort of actually hypnotizing people. He hypnotized the Dean at one uh point and most of that ended up on the cutting room floor except for the bit where he's convincing West to stand back uh I think they're in the basement or something um be- just before West bludgeons him with a shovel I s- well, the version I watched the other day had him hypnotizing the dean so oh, I watched an extended saw- version by accident you saw the integral cut which, or at least that you might have done, because there are currently there are two cuts on my Blu-ray set. One of them is the like eighty-five minute long um, theatrical, unrated, unedited yes. cut, which was released to cinemas. But when this went to television, they needed to cut out all the gore. So, but if you cut out all the gore, what you lose like half an hour's worth of footage. So they added in a load more scenes, and then another. Um, person, I think just a fan, found that version and the gory version and then sort of edited them together. I have heard Stuart Gordon saying that he prefers the trimmed down, toned down cut. Um, I, I think it's that old thing of, you know, having to be more creative with more restrictions put on you. And I think he felt the plot was better served and things like that. But uh, at the same time, I think the original bloodier version of the film sort of became the standard version but now this integral cut exists which is basically everything from both cuts smushed together the gorier versions of scenes in each instance where Mm. there's a choice between two different takes um and then all the deleted stuff just put back in so it's a lot longer and i think that's sort of poised now to become the standard version of this film which i think that must be what i saw because there was definitely plenty of gore in it, um, and I did see these hip- hypnosis scenes, which I will say, um, but I will say that the hypnosis thing doesn't really work. Like it doesn't mm. make se- it doesn't quite fit in with the scientific nature of the of the of the, the, yeah. the feel behind the film. It feels very like mm. science, science, science. So crucially, Doctor Hill, the bad guy, at one point mm. is decapitated. So that's the end of him, and he's not in the rest of the film. Um, Unless Uh, he is reanimated and he's both both his head and body are alive. Um and Mm. acting well kind of autonomously, but the head seems to be able to tell what the body to do. Yeah, so so uh Dr. West murders him to you know, because he's being blackmailed, but then sees the opportunity he can't turn up for another experiment. Uh, I think there's also a sense of, oh, well, if he's not dead, I can't get in trouble for it. Um, There's some (laughs) element of that at play. But then he's got to kind of keep him from, you know, being a nuisance beyond that. What's the line? Again, he has an amazing line with him. The guy's saying he's going to tell on him or something, and he says, like, who's going to believe a talking head in a jar? Or whatever it is. (laughs) Get a job in a sideshow. (laughs) Yes. But yeah, it's, I mean, essentially it's set up for a series of 
fantastic physical visual comedy um, mm. with a, 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 a headless body bumbling around with the head. Sort I, have of. To, I have to say, this is something that the, the films all the way through do very well in terms of creating the illusion of a body part or a head or whatever oh, being yeah. being uh, being a separate because it's a lot of close-ups of uh, david gale's head and it's like just cut mm, off yes. at the neck but they're just the way it's edited and the and the, yeah. the production design around it and lots of blood and stuff really sells it well plus the performance mm. is really yeah good. You, can, you can always see how they're doing it but it works but yeah, but there's times yeah. where you go, he oh, must be at a very odd angle to be getting his body out of the way there. But it, they make it look natural. And it, and that's throughout the whole thing. It's, it's handled very well. I mean, it, it's a point at which the film, you know, really loses any sense of reality because he can <laughs> talk to the body, which can hear him, even though it <laughs> hasn't got ears. Uh, um, so, it, you know, it is cartoon logic. Yeah. But... Plus, he, he, he can then also kind of call on other zombies from around the uh, local area. Yeah. So just to put out a radio signal or something from yeah. his head. I think that was sort of to do with his hypnosis yeah. powers or something. It's, yeah, but it was sort of, yeah, never fully explored. But I think it's done really well, and I think it plays really well. What you end up with is a villain who's, like, he's really funny. There's some fantastic jokes. Uh, the, the scene at which he sneaks into the morgue and he has a sort of fake... Uh, educational head uh, sculpture thing, uh, like on the top of his neck, is fantastic. Um, yeah. There's some really great physical humor yeah, with it, but that. then he's—it's kind of weirdly not played for laughs. At that, that like, he's literally a a, a, he- a body with no head, with a fake head stuck on it, with like uh, a surgical mask to cover it. Oh, I did. And you know got that. like the... there's a there's a real weight for the audience laughter moment with that. I, I know, think. but. It's the way. Yeah. It's because it doesn't have the moment where the security guard, the security guard, kind of goes, "Oh, hello, Doctor Hill." Doesn't not paying attention because it doesn't have that moment where he kind of does like the double take. <laughs> it's kind of it doesn't feel like it's a comedy. It's... But then at the same time, he's also genuinely really quite an unnerving villain. I think he yeah. at times oh, yeah. it plays, you know, as the horror that it's trying to be with this guy, and certainly when. There's a scene where he basically um, sexually assaults uh, Barbara Crampton, um, who's mm. down on this table, and it's it's really quite horrifying. It's yeah, you know, because he makes no um, uh, secret of the fact that he's you know sexually attracted to her, and he wants to you know <laughs> abuse a position of power to sleep with her, and he, he was trying it on with her earlier mm. on in the film. You know, by this um, point, he is just a head that will, exactly. and he's kind of talking like this. Because his like blood is <laughs> dribbling out of his mouth, yeah. and, and they they have to keep topping up the blood in his head because it's falling out the bottom, and yeah. obviously he needs to stay you know kept up with blood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a pretty low budget thing. They, they 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 threw it together, but and I have seen this before. But it was a long enough time ago that I was kind of going to this pretty fresh. And I was surprised just how good it is in terms of actual the practical effects. For one thing. You know, you, mm. the we talked about how they actually frame things and make it look really good, but just the 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 the, the gore elements, but also the you know the it works really nicely, and the whole thing is just very well shot. It's it's you know yeah. you know what I mean. I just I was expecting something a little bit shitter. Uh, mm. Oh yeah, kind of like the Halloween sequels, like that was sort of level I was I was pitching at. 
And to say it's a bunch of novices as well. Uh, I think that the cinematographer did bring a lot to it as well, yeah. by the sounds of it. The director was very much wanting to direct it as a stage play and film it like a stage play. And then the cinematographer would be like, mm, you know what, I think it might be more interesting if perhaps we uh, go close on this mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, do something a bit different. So I think he brought a lot to it by the sounds of it. Yeah. Well, would you like to talk about the score? <laughs> oh, yes, let's. Because it's just, just, just the psycho score, basically. Is, is that what they, they just put that on it? It pretty much is, yeah. <laughs> by, the, by the sounds of it, the director told the composer that he wanted a Bernard Herman-esque score, and he certainly that. did that. <laughs> The thing that baffles me about it is like, I was like, okay, well, I, I suppose this could perhaps slip through the cracks and maybe some rights, you know, were worked out so that this could exist. But then it's there in both the sequels, the same sort of music. So I'm like, oh, does this not count as plagiarism or a Bernard Herrmann's estate just very lax about this Beyond kind of Reanimators. Music's quite different, I think. It, it's very. It is, but they still have like that a, dun dun yeah. dun 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 in there at certain parts. Yeah. Beyond uh, sounds a lot more like a um, legally safe knockoff, whereas the first two <laughs> are just very much the psycho theme. Um, yeah, it, it, I mean, if Alan's picking up on it, sounding the same, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, at the very beginning where we're introducing Herbert West and he's in Germany, I think, with a, with a, another Doctor Who dies. Switzerland? And all this. Yeah, I'm not sure, I can't remember. But, the, well, the, the, the Doctor Who he's working with there, who dies, as far as I could tell, was called Hans Gruber. Yes! <laughs> That's just a, a weird little fact for you. Well, I'll give it a very solid seven. Hmm. Um, which I'm, now we've talked about it, I feel like giving it more. But I think that's, obviously that was my reaction to watching it because we've talked about it. And it was like, oh yeah, it did this, it did this. Yeah. Uh, but I'll stick with a, a good seven. Soul, can you go next? Uh, I'm going to give it a nine, which is yeah. quite a generous nine, really. Uh, but it's. I think that it, reflects it, your I, personal I, taste, doesn't it? it reflects yeah, your yeah. Personal enjoyment of it. This this was an eight from me for a while, but it, I've this is a film I can go back to pretty much every year or couple of years, and every time it, it holds up, and I sort of get something else out of it, and think it's one of those films where every time I think no, it can't be as good as I remember, and then I come away thinking like no, that that was that was really good. I really like that film. Yep, I, I completely agree, and for those same reasons, it's a nine from me as well. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah, really, really love this film. Um, and I, I think mm. the ending's really good as well, which is kind of... It's got that nice, tragic cap on it where, you know... It, like a lot of these zombie films where it's like, oh, should you bring them back or not? And, you know, his girlfriend well, cause, dies. Yeah. Is he going to bring her back? The main guy's girlfriend dies from being very lightly strangled. <laughs> Like, I, I'd never thought that that would have been... Victim uh, shaming or cause of death. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we're supposed to believe that Herbert West dies as well. Or we certainly don't see his ultimate fate. Because um, it goes full, like, body horror, like someone's body opens up and like the oh, intestines yeah. grabbing and is being dragged in. And then we never quite see him, like, finally dragged in or anything. Uh 
I think Doctor Hill's head is certainly sort of crumpled to yeah, yeah. Uh, buggery, and it's the first thing that he's and the uh, not alive. The um, dad character, who's been a kind of zombie henchman for much of this, is mm. torn to pieces oh, yeah. in silhouette, which is very nice <laughs> as well. Uh, but yeah, that leads us on to Bride of Reanimator. They they did make a sequel uh, quite fairly soon after, really. 1989. It was five years! Four mm. years. It, 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 it says 1989 here on 9DB. It says 1990 on the Wikipedia. Right, well, I imagine that means it got a theatrical release in 1990, but it played at some film festivals. Well, 9DB says it played... It played the Sitgas, however you pronounce that, film festival in Spain. I'm sure you don't say Sitgas. I'm sure it's a lot more Spanish. Uh, in October <laughs> 1989, every subsequent That's screening was 1990. It got a UK theatrical release in 1990. Eventually came out in America 1991, it looks like, yeah. So, I'd never seen this film before. I only watched it for the purpose of this podcast, and... It, the how it begins really just threw me off mm. like completely like where I thought it was gonna go like we start well first of all we have um dr Hill's severed head uh sort of going on about how he's gonna get revenge on mm. um Jeffrey Combs's character and then we're in like war-torn South America Very odd, yeah. and well you, you say we're in war-torn South America yeah we're in a small set uh, which is essentially a tent with a bed in it Yes, they've really gone overboard on the budget. Well, can can I just say off the bat, um, you know how I said the first film was the first three chapters of the short story, Uh right? This is very much the next final three chapters, chapters four, five, six. Oh, um, Oh, interesting. Which I I always found quite surprising when I was reading it because I I kind of just assumed this was, oh, how can we? meanderingly keep that story going oh let's kind of figure it out um but no it is very much the second half of the bigger story as it was written and i think it works a lot more as a coherent whole on the page um the films maybe not quite so much but if you think this was written in the 20s or whenever it was the the wartime hmm. setting kind of makes a bit more sense at the start. Ah, mm. oh, that explains it. That's very. I didn't. I haven't seen any behind the scenes stuff on this one, so I didn't realize that it was actually based on H.P. Lovecraft. For, to, to for me as a, a a layman, I just assumed that this was just writers having to make it up as they went along. I thought Reanimator ended at the end of the last film. Well, that's that's, that's how it plays. But no, I think it's just kind of a clumsy job of updating it to modernize it. That's interesting because obviously this is a essentially a take on Frankenstein and and that that story is essentially the story of Victor Frankenstein creating this creature and his story and then once the creature is alive it becomes the creature's story and him create the becoming you know conscious and and then the the conflict between the two of them so it's kind of a two part story to that as well perhaps not quite as neatly mm. but um, but yeah maybe that was a deliberate thing that Lovecraft did. I think this film has great individual scenes. All the individual scenes I'm quite happy to sit and watch and they're very enjoyable. I don't think any of them really add up to a coherent, proper plot. It just feels very meandering and lacking in structure. Mm. I, I think the first film has very good structure. Uh, that, that's kind of where I am with this. I I can sit through it happily enough, but it, it, it really is lacking that spark. Yeah. Mm. I don't 
really know what's going on with Bruce Abbott in this one because yeah. there's a new character in there. Barbara Crampton didn't come back, but instead there's Kathleen Kinmont, mm. who you guys should recognise from Halloween Four, <laughs> the uh, the patient at hospital. Uh. Do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> she eventually becomes the bride, but yeah, because he's got some kind of relationship going on with her. She's like terminally ill. And well, he's I, desperate. I got the to... impression she's she's just a patient. It's not. There's nothing more than that. He's just for some reason he's become particularly obsessed with her health because she kind of reminds him of his dead girlfriend. Is that is that it? Well, that was it. Yeah, yeah. I, that's what I could extrapolate. But there's some South American lady in this one as well who's another love interest for Dan, and that was one too many. Yeah, it was, yeah, you're right. It's just kind of a bit messy. But the 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 feel of it, the tone of it, is all still there. And it still works mm. in a lot of yeah. respects. And um, Dr. West still does the same things. The first film feels very self-contained to me. And after I saw it, I found it really odd that they made sequels. It struck me like it shouldn't have them. And I think considering mm. that, the sequels to these, this film, uh, to the first film, are a hell of a lot better than they really feel like they have any right to be. Mm. I've just realised we never mentioned the, the iconic glowing serum in the first oh, yeah. film. All oh, right, yeah. It's, it's worth mentioning. Like again, it's just a really great image. It, it's just it is it works really yeah. well, and it, it it's mm. just yeah, it's just and they use it to quite good effect. They they really like let it glow in the dark, and I mean, is that is that just an a, a luminous thing they're using? Is it is it genuine or because it doesn't look like any After Effects or anything like that? I does it? think it is just basically what you get inside a glow stick. Um, mm. But yeah, obviously that comes back in this and, and the next one. So Yeah, I mean, one thing this, this film really gets into, and I was very pissed off with, honestly, when I first watched it, because this was an idea I'd been working on for ages and stuff I was writing, <laughs> is um, he's, he gets really into sewing body parts together and creating weird little animal things out of human body parts. And so you get, you know, like a spidery hmm. thing that's a hand with an eyeball attached to it. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, Doctor Hill gets bat wings attached to his head. And create all <laughs> yes, these. Sort of, I did like that. Yeah, it's, it's it was a great idea, and it, it just annoyed me because I thought, oh, no one's done that. I can do that. Uh, my favorite part of the film is when um, when there's a dog towards the end of the film, and, it, and then it reaches out with a human arm and grabs the guy, and he's like, oh, it's a dog. With that hands. is the best part of the film, and that's like those last twenty minutes are the only bit that I really engaged with. Like the rest mm. of it was just such wasted opportunity yeah. like they have this whole setup where they have this like spider hand thing which is basically just an eyeball and a bunch of fingers yeah. and this detective is at the doctor's um home and he's sort of you know asking questions and stuff and this hand's just sort of scurrying around in the background and the detective can't see it but the two guys can and it, it never quite uh it never quite got to the uh, extent that it was like you know a, a well thought out comedy skit it was just and and sure enough, I was like, this is going to go somewhere. Like, it's going to get in the detective's hat and he's going to yeah. put it on his head and walk <laughs> out with it or something. There's, but then instead, no, it just gets smushed and that's it. Mm. And it should be pointed out that this is a different director yes, now. Yeah, it's not Brian Stuart Gordon. Usner, it's Usner, Brian Usmer. Who, who, I believe Stuart yeah. Gordon's producing partner. Certainly he Yeah, is yeah, now, he produced the first film. Yeah. Stepping up to the director's chair. I, I do think the last 20 minutes, though, like you mentioned, do come together quite nicely. And you, there are some great images that, you know, all these monstrosities mm. that he's created from human body parts crawling around and, you know, two men's torsos sewn together and that sort of thing. It, 
It's got mm. some really cool stuff going on, which, from what I remember, is actually in the book again. I, I kind of thought, oh, this is them just playing around, but um, it is in the original written thing, I think, that he gets bat uh, wings attached to a head and stuff like that, if I remember correctly. <laughs> so. mm. <laughs> and then, of course, the, the, the piece de resistance is the bride of reanimator at the end they create mm. uh they create a woman and out of different body oh. parts and it looks very cool mm. it's and in, in the way they and they oh, have yes. her out on a slab for quite a long time in the film and adding bits and it is mm. very grotesque but it, it looks it looks like if you were going to stitch a load of body parts together it, mm. it it's not I, I, and it's not a simple sort of frankenstein ripoff either which it kind of could yeah. easily have been mm. They've gone I, full I, in. Yeah, no, there's like effect. exposed yeah. flesh, like skin isn't yeah, quite covering yeah. all the body. It's really grotesque. And there's my favorite shot in the whole thing is when I think I suppose it's Catherine Kinmont, the actress, and they've got this like strobe lighting going on, and mm. she's just like gyrating and making these contort- weird uh, body contortions. And it's just this horrific but quite sort of beautiful uh, imagery going on. And um, before we move on, uh, can we talk about, like, again, this film ends with presumably Herbert West dying. He's, uh, what well, can he has a cave collapsing on him, yeah. sort of like a catacomb sort of thing. Um, and Dr. Hill doesn't quite die, but sort of gets wedged between a couple of rocks so he can't fly away. But, Dang it, Bobby! Um, his end, <laughs> his end is, uh, much less um, uh, final than in the previous film, and yet he doesn't come back in the next one. The actor died, I suppose. But <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I just find it interesting that again they kill Herbert West off at the end. Does he? I can't and, remember what happens. Yeah. Does he? Um, he has bricks um, dropped th- on him. There's a big cave in. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't think I ever really took it as him dying. But now that you say it back to me, it's kind of like, oh yeah, I guess that's what well, they have that shot of his hand. Yeah. His lifeless hands just there uh, amongst the rubble, so I just assume... This was the end of the franchise for ten years until the third one came along a lot later, but um, mm. I don't know. I don't know if they made it intentionally. It wouldn't surprise me if they intended it to be just oh, it's part two of the story that we only told half of last time. This is the end, so... Mm. Um, mm. So... These guys live in Arkham, right? Yes. Is that a real place? Is Arkham a... <laughs> no. Only, um, I only know of Arkham from Batman. Yeah, me too. Uh, Batman, for whatever reason, lifted Arkham from the works of H.P. Lovecraft as a nod to it and uh, far surpassed oh, well, it in uh, popularity to the point that now when you hear Arkham, you think of Arkham Asylum from yeah. Batman. But Arkham Asylum was a, an H.P. Lovecraft creation. Because um, H.P. Lovecraft, he did the whole shared universe thing with most of his writing. And it was largely all set in Arkham and Miskatonic University and all these locations. And dealt with these old gods, yeah. Cthulhu and mates, you know, various old ones. And he was building this sort of lore of this universe slowly but surely. And... Uh, he also made a big song and dance about inviting other people to join in and write their own stories set within his world and add to it. That's I think that's part of why it has become this sort of thing that people just borrow his characters and story ideas and like the Necronomicon being an evil dead and that sort of thing because it it really was very much what he was trying to achieve with his writing in the first place. Just kind of this I don't know cultural mm. p- prominence. 
So yeah, I, I think Batman just did it as a nod to him, but it's not a real place. No. Okay, cool. Mm. Should we do uh, ratings on that before we move on to the third? Yeah, I I go back and forth every time I watch Bride of Reanimator, swapping it between a six and a seven. And on this viewing, I have mm. downgraded it to a six uh, out of ten. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I think as we said, I, I I liked aspects of this. It didn't quite work as a whole. But I, I gave this a six, which bear in mind I gave the first mm. a seven. Yeah. It's not a big step down, uh, but no. yeah, I think it's no. definitely a lower and and six, I suppose. Hmm. I, I don't know if my viewing was hindered by the fact that I watched it almost back to back with uh, the first film, but I was just bored for so much of this, and the last twenty minutes were pretty great. But the I mean, the first like hour and ten of that is just a, a bit of a slog, mm. really. Just lots of back and forth and repetition. Uh, I'd give it a five out of ten. Mm. Fair enough. Oh, that, yeah, that's all pretty reasonable. Then. Yeah. Hmm. Um. So they made another one. Yeah, ten years on, nearly, or more than nearly. No, more than ten years on. Two thousand and three. Two thousand three. Beyond Reanimator. Yeah. Um. This one is weirdly a prison movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I quite like that. I think it's a nice yeah. new, you know, setting and flavor and. Premise oh, I don't they... like prison movies. <laughs> oh, really? See, I, I don't. It's a setting that I really I've never gelled really? with. Like, if ever I see a movie, it's like something set in a prison. It's like oh, that's <laughs> weird. I don't like see, it. Really? like it. It's a law movie. unto yeah, itself. Yeah, yeah. That's it. I I I quite like prison as a setting, and I've not seen that much stuff set in prison, honestly. That I, but I, I like it when things go to prison. I, I'm on board. Because you, you're trapped. You've got people trapped there. Yeah. You've got a you've got a very immediate power dynamic, um, but that doesn't necessarily. Uh, stay true because it's a, a sort of an authority power which can be uh over overpowered physically if you know what i mean um so yeah mm. i think it's a very interesting setup to have a prison and you can put anything into it and kind of yeah. make it interesting it's just an, there are too many deplorable characters that's what i don't like everyone has to have a terrible yeah. reason for being yeah, there it's not like some plus you know, the guards you know, are always mentioned. assholes as well there's never a good guard yeah i mean <laughs> it doesn't have to be you can get very you know, low minimum security prison stuff. You you can have perfectly nice characters, pretty believably in there. It's. I've not seen many minimum security prison <laughs> films, though. I don't think they have quite the same stakes. Well, you know, like Orange is the New Black's the one that springs to mind for me. That most of the characters there are very sympathetic because I think that is a minimum security prison. Um, um, mm. However, many years have passed later. Mm-hmm, uh, Thirty. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the idea being that Herbert West's been in prison for what thirteen years, uh, mm-hmm. ten years, however many years, mm-hmm. uh, we we get a really, really. I completely forgot about the the cold open sequence at the beginning. It's fantastic. I mm. really love it. I think it's great. Um, hmm. No, not a fan. No, no. Uh, I thought <laughs> the, the all the acting was terrible. I like the zombie guy, the guy without. A half a jaw, but otherwise it was just, I mean, it, it was very much a slasher movie opening. Well, this is it. Where... it it's played like a slasher thing, and I, I think the implication is you keep thinking oh, it's going to be, you know, Herbert West's in there. I, I don't know, it's, it's, it's done as a slasher thing, and you don't quite know how that's going to fit the tone of this. And then they walk mm. in, and there's this fantastic effect. It's very much, I think, an homage to Day of the Dead, the George Romero film. Uh, there's an iconic zombie at the beginning of that. Uh, which just has its lower jaw missing and the tongue mm. hanging out, and he 
he picks up a carton of milk he starts trying to drink it and it goes everywhere and it's it's darkly comic i think in a way that works it, it, i i think the effects are good it's the effect of him killing that girl isn't very good. He's supposed to be bashing her against the yeah, wall, yeah, but you can true. tell he's just very lightly tapping her. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I really like it. And then they you know, they cart Herbert West away in a prison car because he's near he's there at the scene and but crucially, he leaves behind a, a syringe of the green goo, which one of the boys picks up, and then the boy grows up and becomes the main character. Yeah, yeah. so we, we jump forward, and, and this boy who saw his sister being murdered, uh, and indirectly, you know, Dr. West is responsible, but he doesn't want revenge, because at first when we see him coming in, and he wants to yeah. work with Dr. West, you think, oh, he's going to get revenge somehow. But it's not that. Mm. He wants to work with him, and... You know, he wants to know how to stop death. Mm. Mm. And he's been working on it for 13 years to get to this point. You know, specifically being put in a in an assignment at that prison because he knows West's mm-hmm. there. It's um, I think it's a decent mm-hmm. setup for a film, even if it is somewhat like, oh, what, really? You've got to give West another very similar sidekick to the previous film. Mm. Okay. Well, the other one yeah. just got too old, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, hmm. they didn't. They didn't think to get a good actor in. In exchange, they just yeah. went with the same old shit. No <laughs> not, one in this, this is good apart from Jeffrey Combs. No, yeah. no one. Yeah, but no one jumps out from this film as like, oh my god, they're a terrible actor. But no one jumps out as they're a good actor either, do they? So, hmm. I I don't have a massive amount to say about this one really, other than I think this reduces Reanimator to much kind of trashier zombie comedy oh, yeah. fair mm. but yeah i think within that ballpark within that area what it's playing in i i think it's actually a very good job of it yeah, um, i certainly think i think it's a much better film than the previous one personally I, i've always quite enjoyed this one yeah it's not nearly as great a film as as the original like, i can't really defend it on a lot of levels but i think it's you know entertaining yeah i know what you mean it uh... It feels like just a, f- a few of the supporting characters could have been, if they were strong, it might have just made the whole thing a bit better. Like the the warden, who is not really a supporting character, is a very major character, is is very weak. Um, yeah, you really wanted just like doesn't... A Ricardo Montalban yeah. or someone in that role. <laughs> well, that's it. I didn't. You didn't. You think the guy who was playing him, it was. It looked like if you morphed the Chuckle Brothers together, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what he looked like and did a Mexican accent. Mm. (laughs) Um, yeah just things like that Uh, so that guy like a better actor definitely but that's not Mm. that's a bit unfair on him because it's weakly written his motivations and the way he does things are just quite weak uh, just because Mm. he's just so just oh I'm evil it's like there's no real motive behind it you've got I am the warden (laughs) everyone will worship you you're not the warden no more I say I am always the warden (laughs) Yeah, and then there's a few there's a few other inmate characters. There's like one guy who's like after Herbert West, uh, another one who's a bit kooky and then dies, and they bring him back to life. Go and they're just not. Yeah, they're not strong Loses enough. There's one who's a, the druggy one. There's like, the mental it, one who, who 
who yeah. dies early on and becomes a how you guys are describing it makes it sound like there's more than there actually is because there really is only three guys yeah. there's like but that's it like the do, guy the druggy one the druggy guy and the religious one the druggy yeah. one he like turns inside out at the end in a pretty bizarre yeah. throwaway moment that doesn't really <laughs> justify the amount of setup they do to get to it but. yeah yeah mm. exactly but that's it they just needed to commit to those characters a bit more I think or you know simplify it um there's yeah and there's a nurse there that never really adds anything um and so anyway the main story is this woman uh, who who's a reporter and for some reason she's knocking around the prison her and the doctor who's on his first day hit it off immediately uh, and and sort of become an item but then it's all about her trying to find out the real information he's working with dr west secretly and they're kind of and then she gets involved and then she has to be reanimated at one point, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But then the crux of this and the, and what they're trying to do that's new is that they're not just reanimating people anymore because they come back as sort of crazed animalistic freaks. Mm. Dr. West has now found some way to harness the kind of spirit of life in this sort of small little electrical tube thing. <laughs> For all intents so... and purposes, the soul but he'll get angry yeah. and slap you if you refer to it as a soul. Yeah, a but in a sort of more scientific sense. But the, the actual essence of life, I suppose. And, it, and they, they throw enough little scientific jargon at it to go, okay, I'm, I'm, I'll go on board with this. Mm, mm. And it's a nice just update, so it's not just injecting people with stuff. And, yeah. And, and it, it means they kind of, they play with their identity a bit and their personality then again, they just needed to commit to it, I think, and and make it have an effect, because then a lot of the time when they're reanimating people, they it's not consistent with what used to happen. They don't just go mm. crazy anymore. They mm. they sort of act differently sometimes. Yeah, that, that that did bug me a couple of points where that happens. Yeah, and there's a there's a prison guard who just seems to become quite hypnotic and prone to suggestion. You know, it's just like well, mm. what. Well, I suppose they did do that in the second one a lot, didn't they? But yeah, it's like what what happens with these guys? Anyway, it's well, it's I, all a bit I like inconsistent. The, I like the personality blending sort of stuff that they do. Like they because uh, they take the essence of the warden, and I should stop not call it essence because that's dirty, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, they take the soul part of the warden and use it to re- uh, reanimate the uh, the reporter lady, and then. Um, Herbert West does the same thing for the warden, but uses like the essence of a rat. Uh, so that's why the warden goes all like ratty. And, uh... <laughs> yeah, goes a little. I I thought they played with it quite well because for a while I thought they were trying to suggest that the reporter character, the girlfriend, was sort of like flitting between personalities, and she was committing nefarious acts as the warden, and then. Um, you know, I thought it was basically two personalities in yeah, one body, yeah. but then the warden is still walking around and well, think, doing his own stuff. So I think that's what they were saying at first, and then by the end, it's more like she's become a blend of the two, and she's just kind of evil. Again, it mm. didn't quite make sense, and it's just mm. those little details. If they really concreted them down and, and worked out what how this worked and what it was, rather than just going, "Oh, this is a nice new concept to sort of freshen it up," done. Mm. Like yeah, that's step one. Now work it out and make it make it a, a, a script. There was um, what I was impressed with was although this film goes quite full on with the weirdness um, and they're not shy about that. There's some real drama in this. There's some really tense moments and some quite nasty 
bits as well, particularly with the mm. with the woman. She's mm. being threatened by the warden all the time, like sexually threatened, and then she's there's a prison riot and they're gonna rape her and stuff. Mm. It's it's and but it's not played for laughs even, or obviously not played for laughs, but it's not played lightly. It kind of really hardens the tone of the film. Yeah, mm. but in a, in a good way, I think it works. And again, perhaps just a bit of a balancing of it. It doesn't doing. feel exploitative. I think that's kind of no. the point. It feels legitimately earned as part of the film. The, the one exception to that being um, the scene um, where the nurse character's got a, a tits out for no reason, and then the guy like the zombie man like bites her boobs off. And I was yeah, watching it that, thinking that like, feels... oh, I don't know about that. But then a few that minutes was like later, watching there's a something scene. from the seventies, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. It was... But then a few yeah. minutes later, there is a scene where a zombie like thing bites a, a man's dick off and i thought okay well you know at least uh, <laughs> at least it's like equal equal opportunities that's all right then. but I, I, yeah <laughs> that bit and then uh, when the main woman she becomes kind of quite malevolent and and very uh domineering and she beats up the doctor and everything but she basically rips off her top and she's wearing like a um a corset and stockings yeah. <laughs> like, uh, well okay <laughs> but so like that one is that's a bit you know unnecessary but uh the character the character element of it was fine did you just, just hiccup calvin why they <laughs> no, no that was that was me i didn't hiccup i just accidentally knocked the chair and it's okay <laughs> so oh. <laughs> it was a bit like a calvin oh <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> Well, can we can we just talk about one more thing? Because as the credits roll, there is a <laughs> between the rat and the warden severed penis. Yes, yeah, bitten off, as, that, as I mentioned. Yeah, that is not like I was ready to sort of close, you know, finish the uh, press, you know, stop. But I was listening to the music, like, oh yeah, it's still very Bernard Hermony and all that. And then we have this sort of yeah, during while the credits are rolling, yep. this little square pops up and the rat. It's like in shadow, and they have like a little boxing match. It is the <laughs> like, weirdest thing. It is. It's utterly so bizarre. weird. I mean, maybe it's like a weird deleted scene that they felt just was too out of place in the body of the film, perhaps. But, <laughs> but they invested well, yeah, too it's... much, like on the special effects to to make it. Happen. <laughs> what special? Effects? Well, on the, there's because it's it's an animated like well, not animated. It's it's um animated in the traditional sense of the word like penis it's like a puppet thing or <laughs> traditional penis <laughs> no what All i mean right, is it... so sausage on a stick yeah yeah exactly well, that's i mean it's not effects. a hand drawn what five euros it's no it's like a little animatronic cock chasing after this rat down an air vent animatronic and, we- and weird like slow motion being employed every time they need the rat to do some acting um, <laughs> and then it cuts to silhouette for like a really weird puppet show that's very blatantly uh, being done with shadow puppets all of a sudden and a dildo on a stick and uh, yeah it's bizarre I don't know what the mm. hell they were thinking other than neither do I it's a mm. comedy we've got to put some jokes in there I don't know yeah should we, should we rate it yeah, um, I didn't like this one very much at all. I think just oh, the overall cheapness. There's something, and I know that the other two are quite low budget films, yeah. but there's just something about the era in which it's made. I'm not sure if it's the film stock well, or it. the yeah. transfer, like what it was, but it just feels the lighting was flat. It wasn't shot as attractively. Yeah, it's di- um, this one's yeah. shot digitally, isn't it? Whereas the others are. Ah, that there's, explains there's it. There's something okay. to be said for 
I don't know, the same exact cheap filmmaking techniques just being done nowadays just don't look as nice because I don't know. It's it, so weird, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And well, this and, is 2003. Yeah. Like now, they they can they handle digital much better these days because they're used to it mm. and you can grade it in a different way. But yeah, high end digital. But I mean, this is the thing when you go down to that gritty low level way of making films at the bottom end of the barrel, it, it just doesn't kind of work. And a great example mm. is uh, last week, I believe, if I've remembered our release schedule properly, we were talking about Suspiria and how Dario Argento then went on to make Mother of Tears. It's the exact same thing. Compare those two mm. films from the same director. One of them's horribly cheap. One of them's got this kind of beautiful, poetic, visual look to it. And, um, hmm. you know, George Romero, the exact same thing. You look at his later films compared to his original films. A- any of the kind of masters of horror that carried on working into the digital age. Yeah, but again, you're, you're talking about digital age, early digital age, early 2000s. No, not really. Um, you know, Survival of the Dead was like, what, 2009? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you, you, obviously you can do amazing stuff with digital cinematography, but um, I think it's difficult to do it at the low end. Whereas I, I think you can do some really nice yeah, stuff with I more agree. traditional cinematography. There's something about film stock, like or I, I don't know if how how the imagery is captured or if it is lighting or or what. But yeah, this just felt cheap. I didn't laugh that much. I didn't think the creations were as exciting or fun as the previous film. So th- this one gets a four from me. This one is generally regarded as the weakest one. Um, as I said earlier, personally, I think it's a step up from the previous one. This is my favourite of the sequels. Uh, I give it a seven. I think I prefer it to the second one as well. And I, and kind of opposite mm. to you, Calvin, I like stuff that's set in prisons because for the same reasons, you know, it traps things. I don't think it's handled particularly well, but I like some of the stuff. Yeah. I like elements of it. I like they're doing something slightly different. I think it's more coherent yeah. than the second one. I think the second one's just a yeah. bit more meandering and all over the place. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Hmm. Anyway, I gave it a six. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. fair enough. So before we move on to our own ideas for a fourth one and and what they may have done themselves had they been able to get the money together. Uh, I've done a little Halloween game for us. Oh! This is a a nice, simple one, uh, this game, which is... uh, Basically, I've got a load of Halloween movie themes for whatever reason... Or not Halloween, horror movie themes. Oh. Um, For whatever reason, the horror genre seems to attract theme tunes from from singers and musical artists and what have you more than most other genres do hmm. uh so it's very simple i want you to tell me what film these songs are from and also if you can name the artist i'll i'll chuck you an extra point for that as well but i do think calvin's probably gonna win yeah, so. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. i'm gonna be much use at this <laughs> uh so let's begin
This see, see this feels to me, I don't know what it is, but it sounds to me very, it sounds um, kind of very mid to late 90s and it seems very self-aware as well, so I would say post-screen Is world. it one of the Return of the Living Dead movies? Uh, no, I, I think this is a lot less self-aware than I would say think. late 80s. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I think, off the top of my head, I think it's from 1989. Oh, really? But that might be That sounded wrong. like it was off the Clueless soundtrack or something. It yeah. was very mid-90s. Horror was ahead of its time, <laughs> I suppose. I think this is one of the first <laughs> songs that ushered in this wave of horror movie themes that sound uh, like that. Um, did you not hear something the about in I don't want to be buried in someone's cemetery. What was it? What was the word I'm missing there? Pet. Oh, Pet Cemetery. Oh, Pet Cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that. Film. I mean, I heard Alan say that slightly sooner, yeah, but I don't fair. know if I can I give either of you a point there. I, I, yeah, I earned that point. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Uh, yeah, that that was Pet Cemetery uh, by the Ramones for the theme uh, uh, for the film Pet Cemetery. Stephen King's in the music video. Is he? Uh, I, yeah, it might just be the shot of him from the film, but. That's actually Pet Cemetery is actually very similar to Reanimator. Thinking about it, mm. it's very much a zombie film, but you know, it's each. They're doing a remake is, of that. It's out uh, out in April, so we'll probably cover the original, which I'm looking forward to. But yeah, uh, yeah, moving on. Oh, Adam's family. <laughs> Adam's family. Adam's family. <laughs> Adam's family. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you fall over? What happened? I got so excited I knocked my phone off. <laughs> <laughs> dropped it on the floor. <laughs> sorry about that. Have I have I mentioned that you need to be specific with uh, uh, all the second Adam's family values? Adam's family. V- yeah, <laughs> I'll go with the it, first one then. I guess I don't really know. It is it is from Adam's family values. This is Adam's family <laughs> wump in brackets I- by tag team. Bowie! David Bowie. Someone ripping off David Bowie. Weird science! Yes! Yes, I know it is. It's Danny Elfman. <laughs> yes. Uh, Danny Elfman's, uh, what are they called? Oingo? Oingo, boingo. Yeah, it is weird yeah. science, which which isn't so much horror, but it's certainly, you know, The Simpsons might parody it on a Halloween person, episode. Yeah. That That's kind of what we're looking at here. Uh, again, kind of similar to Reanimator, thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, you, I'll, I'll give you a point for the, um, the artist there, actually, Alan, for getting Danny Elfman. Oh, wow. Oh. Calvin, <laughs> yes. Come on, Cal- no, don't worry, Calvin. You're gonna, you're gonna pull this back. I think. Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. <laughs> I knew it was building up to that. I was just like, I didn't want to... Yeah. 
Yes, I love that song, by the way. Anyway, I don't know who sings it. Yes, that 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 of course was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street three. Was it yes. Dream Warriors? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, well done. Um, a lot of these are slasher movie themes. It, it seems to be particularly something they were fond of. So, yeah, you're poised to to Who's, do well. Who was that then? That was by Dokken or something. Yeah. I think they were called Dokken. Yeah. <laughs> Never heard of them, but. <laughs> Fingers on buzzers. Calvin? Alan? Honey, I'm gonna make it out alive. This is Snakes on a Plane, and it is... Oh, what are they called? <laughs> Something Starship. Um, uh, it's... It, the clue is in the name. Cobra Starship. Yes! Yeah. I believe the full title is Bring It, uh, bracket snakes on a plane all the other way around. I love this song. I love that song. It is. It's a great. It's a great song. The music video inexplicably plays over the end credits, <laughs> with, like complete with Samuel L. Jackson doing his little cameo. Yeah. Love it. But not as much as I love this. Oh, it's Electric Six. Check it, yo. It's this chick, right? Serlina, making me sick, right? Earth is worthless to her. She be tripping like threatening me and my men's trying to get the light. Thinking she's Superwoman, but Black Kryptonite. Finishing whatever you start, son. The best looking crime fighter since myself in part one. Better act right and play nice and sing along, cause K is back any height. Men in Black 2! <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not a horror film. Wanna brawl with me? Wanna brawl with me? <laughs> I mean, as I said before, when when Weird Science came up, the the only um, the only criteria here really is that The Simpsons might parody it. Come for Halloween. <laughs> I was trying to think. This is obviously a Will Smith knockoff. What, what is this? <laughs> oh no, it is Will Smith. <laughs> I love that song. I genuinely love it. It's fantastic. Right, come on, Calvin. He's actually pulled ahead of you. Oh, there, for God's sake! I think you're gonna pull it back. I think you're gonna pull it back. Okay. You certainly ought to. <laughs> this is very 80s. Oh, it is, isn't it? You're with your baby in your park alone on a summer night. You're deep in love, but you're deeper in the woods. You think you're doing alright. Is it, um, is it Friday the 13th Part 6? <laughs> yes! Yes! Well done, <laughs> Do you know the artist? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> Alan, you might guess the artist. What? Oh, Alice Cooper! Oh my god, it's Alice Cooper! <laughs> it is, isn't it? It is Alice Cooper, yes. Yes! <laughs> Back brackets, the man behind the mask. Yeah. By Alice Cooper for Friday the Thirteenth Part Six. Jason lives. Yeah. Very nicely done there. Thank you. 
that's the, that's right. uh, the best of the sequel. Or that's the best film actually in the whole. Thing. Really, I think so. It's huh. the one where they actually go full like tongue in cheek. It's like it has Jason Voorhees doing the James Bond gun barrel uh, sequence towards the beginning <laughs> of the film, throwing his machete <laughs> down a camera lens. So it's, yeah. Oh man, I want to do these. That's that's the only good one. It's got Alice Cooper doing the theme as well. But Alice Cooper's also in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. He's Freddy Krueger's dad in uh, Freddy's (laughs) Dead Final (laughs) Nightmare. Yeah. For fuck's sake. Electric Six. (laughs) Is this from a movie? No, it was just Electric Six. I did cheat a little bit to get this one in. It's actually from a a web series. (laughs) Which is the level at which uh, these guys are playing. I mean, it's it's technically not Electric Six, but I will allow it. It's uh, Dick Valentine leads the bloke out of Electric Six (laughs) solo uh, for the web series Bite Me, which was Machinima's uh, effort to get into original content programming with a zombie comedy series. It's not very good at all. Hmm. Um, I think Phil Lamar was in it, if I remember correctly. It's it's made with proper people and stuff. Hmm. (laughs) Anyway. Is it Nightmare Elm Street 4? <laughs> you are correct, yes. Damn. <laughs> I don't know who it's mine. I only, I only got that because the lyrics were something like, this is the best thing since part three, Dream Warriors. <laughs> Something like that. mama's <laughs> too. And if you don't watch out, oh no, it's from England. So my advice to you is to stay ready. Where is the um, you know that my name is X and I'm here to say <laughs> Believe me, I where does, I where does that come from and why is it only white people who do it? <laughs> Believe me, I've gone down that rabbit hole. Uh, a lot of people think it comes from a Carmen Miranda parody advert from like going way, way back where this banana would come out singing. I'm Chiquita Banana and I've come to say Bananas have to ripen in a certain way And when they're flecked with brown and have a But I think the first, like, proper instance of it in a rap Was a Flintstones advert for cereal Who are you? I'm the master rapper and I'm here to say I love fruity pebbles in a major way He loves fruity pebbles in a major way <laughs> The bedrock yellow, orange, purple, lime and red But to get the fruity taste, I've got a trick uh, Do you know who that was by, Alan? Other than uh, Freddy himself. No, I'm afraid not. Jesus. The Fat Boys. The what? The, the Fat Boys. <laughs> they sound good. Right. See if you know this. We're going head to head with the 
Shaz and Dave. Yes. The hell would they have signed up to do it? Is this an official song from a film? Yes. Head to head brackets with the undead. It's actually by Rockney versus Zombies featuring Chaz and Dave, but I will accept Chaz and Dave. Well, I want to say Shaun of the Dead, but because <laughs> the... it was just got to be something postmodern. Oh. It was riding the coattails of Shaun of the Dead. Um, bit late. One, one of those things with James Corden in it. No, but you're not far wrong. Cockneys uh, versus zombies. It is Cockneys versus zombies. Yes. Oh well, that makes sense. I didn't know that was a thing, <laughs> but that would make Did you not? sense. Yeah. I have seen that. No, film. It's not very good. It's, it's got um, what's he called in it? On a Blackman. The the, the Uber Cockney. <laughs> the the, oh, the yeah, leader of the Cockneys. Cockney. <laughs> He's like the main guy in it, pretty much. <laughs> cool. Alan Ford. No, that's not. His, no, what's he called? Oh, I know yeah, what you mean. Like is that, it Alan yeah, Ford? Yeah. Rent a Cockney or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's not great. Um, although, you know, there's there's worse out there. Could do a lot worse. Uh, right. This one is a great theme. Let's have it. People say I'm crazy and I make no sense. I don't understand the man's got influence. He's a trickle of a lie. I'll never bend the faces. So don't be fooled by what you think you see. He's gonna make his move on you and me. very difficult to make out like distinct lyrics. I was going to say if you if you could have heard the chorus you would definitely have known that because it was the name of the film. (laughs) Oh right. Can you read us give us a sort of sample of lyrics? Yeah. uh... They start by just saying the name of the film over and over and over uh, about five or six or seven or eight times. Uh, People say I'm crazy and I make no sense but they don't understand the man's got influence. He's a gigolo, (laughs) a liar, a man of many faces so don't be fooled by what you think you see. He's gonna make his move on you and me. It's not American Psycho, is it? Fright okay. Night. Fright Night. No. Who's Ghost it gonna be about. tonight? Fright Night. Your... Fright yeah, Night. Yeah, it is. It is Fright <laughs> yeah. What's what? Fright Night. What happens in Fright Night? Um, Chris Sarandon plays a modern a Dracula character who moves in next door and is very seductive mm. and. and... Oh, yeah. It's a good film, Fright Night. Haven't you guys seen, seen it? it no? yeah. It's one of the best vampire films ever made, honestly. Not a particularly high bar, but it's, <laughs> it's good, good fun. Mm. Right, come on, Calvin. It's another one for you. Something about putting a spell on you. Uh, 
Would it help if I told you they were shouting the words Hellraiser? <laughs> Hellraiser! Oh. Oh. <laughs> I've never seen Hellraiser. I mean, it's not Hellraiser. Uh, Hellraiser oh. 2. It's Hellraiser not Hellraiser 3. 2. <laughs> it is Hellraiser 3. Well done, Calvin. <laughs> uh, Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. Did you, you, you could take a good stab at the band there, because he's got a very distinctive voice, and he's quite well known. Rob Zombie. No, yeah, I mean, that's a good, good guess, but uh. no. No, it's uh, Motorhead. That's actually a cover oh, of an Ozzy yeah. Osbourne song, but but Motorhead oh, covered gosh. Hellraiser by Ozzy Osbourne for Hellraiser 3. Uh, interesting. Hmm. Now, Alan, yes. uh, this one's for you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Or rather, your brother. Is it PJ Harvey? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not going to get it. It's like an incredibly obscure film, yeah. but PJ Harvey did a it's film. I think Brendan Fraser might have been in it. <laughs> Is it called Furry Revenge? The song's called Who Will Love Me. No, the film's called The Passion of Dark Noon. Mm. I, like, I like that one of the things you know about my brother is that he likes PJ Harvey. <laughs> like that's filtered through somehow. Oh, this is Deep Blue Sea! <laughs> and it's LL Cool J. <laughs> I remember bringing that song up in that podcast and you guys were both like, well, what? What song? I even picked up on the ridiculousness of it when I was watching the film. Yeah, Calvin, Calvin, you did tip me off to this in our Deep Blue Sea episode. It's great. You know what you said earlier about it being a David Bowie ripper? <laughs> it's probably closest of this guy. That sounds like a takeoff of Silence of the Lambs. Where is, would you fuck me? I fuck me. <laughs> I think the lyrics are just "Don't you fuck with me" over and over. I thought it was "Won't you song. fuck with me"? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's much more hopeful. Well, I'm going to tell you the name of the song is "Why Was I Born?" Question mark brackets and then the brackets give it away. Uh, "Why Was I Born?" Question mark brackets. Freddy's Dead oh. from Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare. Mm. Oh, and it was by Iggy Pop, sweating lunatic Iggy Pop. <laughs> yeah, that's the one that has Alice Cooper in the film. Like yeah, she Is plays it? yeah plays Freddy Krueger's dad. God. It's a cameo. Uh, right, this one's a bit of a cheat. It's not from a film. It's a tie-in with something else. Mm-hmm. This is the keeper. 
for I have a tasty treat. Inviting you all to a feast. Only the best of fiends can come. We'll have skeletons of fun. So come on down to the Keeper's Zoo. Oh, sure it's it definitely a spin-off from Leprechaun. Time if you can. This is the oh, no, it's not. Jam. The Crypt Jam. Is it oh, is it Kit Tales of the Crypt? Mm. Yes. Well, at first I thought uh, it was Leprechaun, because I heard some bit of Irish <laughs> in there. <laughs> And who do you think that was by? Oh, I have no idea. The Crypt Keeper, of course. <laughs> oh, what? Oh. <laughs> right. <laughs> this one. You might get this one, Calvin. There we go. Another of the Nightmare on Elm Streets, is it? No. Uh, uh, you are close. I know that song. Friday the Thirteenth. I know the song, but I don't know what from. No, it's um, it's a cover of No More Mr. Nice Guy by Megadeth, uh, which they recorded yeah. for Shocker, which was a Wes Craven uh, film. It's the yeah. one where the uh, criminals' body parts make the yeah. guy come back and try and kill someone, right? Like the Simpsons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, right, hmm. three more to go. You should okay. be able to get these. They're quite straightforward. This next one's probably the okay. hardest of the Remainers. Remainers? <laughs> Every day I wake up to another day gone by Nothing but the open road and the never-ending why Anything can happen, yeah but nothing ever does I try to change It's kind of strange Same as it ever was Now look at us How do I deal with you? How do I deal with Buffy? me? Is it, is it Scream? Ooh I know what he did last summer Ooh Ooh <laughs> uh, I know what he did again last su- last, <laughs> I still know what you last. did last summer I, I'm going to give that Scream to you, too. Alan uh, it is from I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. I knew it'd be from one of those teeny like, 90s slashes. Yeah. Now, bearing in mind it's a very generic uh, woman singing it, and it's the sequel to How... Uh, sorry, to I, I Know What You Did Last Summer, or whatever the hell it's called. Any idea? Sarah who... Michelle Gellar. <laughs> no. <clears throat> Low, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Rent. Yes, it was Jennifer Love <laughs> Hewitt singing How Do I Deal. <laughs> Clearly a contractual obligation on the part of the producers. For the <laughs> I'll only episode. come back if I can sing the theme song. Oh, all right, Jessica. Jennifer. <laughs> right. Here we go. To face the demons, I'm bonded to because they're chasing me, but I'm part of you, so escaping me is impossible. Eminem. Venom, Venom, Venom. your childhood too, because if I'm the music that y'all grew up, I'm responsible for you, the cars, the fools. I'm the super villain, dad, mom is losing their marbles too. You I mean, you are correct, it's Venom. Eminem. I'm the suit, so call me Venom. I got that turn of Venom, 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 Venom,
utterly baffling. Anyway, <laughs> final one now. Ghostbusters. Oh, damn it! Well, it's... Something's wrong. But it's the new one, isn't it's it? some sort of takeoff of Things that go bump in the night. Ghostbusters 2? Uh, yeah, it's Ghostbusters 2. I'm oh, amazed yeah. it took you that long to guess that one. <laughs> I have, <laughs> Any idea I who thought, that was by? I assumed I would know. Um, yeah. Uh, no. no. What was the guy who did the first Ghostbusters? Seal, wasn't Ray it? Ray Seal? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> was it not? No. Oh. I think yeah, it was Seal Ray, Ray might have done anyway. the Batman and Robin Seal did Kiss from soundtrack a Rose. or something. From Batman, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, Ray Parker Jr. So is it Ray Parker Sr.? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Ghostbusters by Run DMC. Oh, really? <laughs> anyway, uh, Calvin, you guess. won that with 14 <laughs> points. Alan only got 10. Hooray! Well done, you're the true king of of the horror. I thought you did very good, Alan. I was afraid I might not win. (laughs) Uh, And winning is everything. (laughs) Well, on on that note, uh, do you guys know what the fourth reanimator film that very nearly went into production was all about? Reanimator in space! (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, it was... They were talking about doing it almost immediately, trying to get it together. William H. Macy was cast in the film. Uh, oh! I'm pretty sure he was, like, on board to do it. Uh, it was called House of Reanimator, which mm-hmm. is a clue. It was going to see Herbert West uh, in a becoming a <laughs> member of the White House. Uh, oh! Joining, becoming part of the... Was like secretary for health or whatever, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, but the plot was going to involve the president being killed and him stepping in to revive him because he's knocking around. The president being played by William H Macy. <laughs> what what sort of Fantastic. time period are we talking about? When was this happening? Uh, two thousand four. It was straight up a response oh. to the Bush administration, and uh, <clears throat> the reason it never happened is basically that it took them too long to get funding, and oh. by about two thousand and six, two thousand and seven, they were like. You know, a year or two later, they were like, "Yeah, if we make it now, it won't be out." Like, whilst Bush is still in the White House, it won't make any sense. And never mind. Which hmm, is why I think it's now time to revive this idea <laughs> with our current <laughs> oh. White House administration. I think and it put would... Herbert West in the White House. Ooh, yeah, I, th- yeah, I think it would shit. work well in the current climate. So hmm. that's my he's pitch. He's a white for man a in his sixties. It would make sense. Hmm. Yeah, he's a, he's a you know. Very morally dubious, ethically dubious <laughs> person, so he would fit in. Um, he's a sociopath, so that would that would work as well. Um, he's got a record of uh, criminal transgressions. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, honestly, I I can't think of a better sequel pitch than just let's dust that off now that you know Trump's in. Yeah, I, I quite agree. But I mean, would he have had an assistant? Would he have had another sort of bland leading man? Um, I don't really know. I I think they were probably 
aiming for the the William H Macy double act, but then mm. I don't know if he was going to die very soon and become a kind of mindless simpleton yeah. trying to kill people. I don't know. I have no idea. I know this got so far as like there was a horrifically horrible cheap looking poster that oh. got produced to you know when they uh, take films to uh, like press events and film festivals and things to try and gather funding for them. Ah, right, yeah. It was one of those very early give us some money posters, but you know, it got that hmm. far along. I think it's a real shame it never happened. I, I think if this had fallen into let's just pump out silly sequels and new settings and with new injections of angles on it, it, it could have worked hmm. quite nicely. Yeah. You're saying we need to reanimate the franchise. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly um, that. So, is Alec Baldwin available? <laughs> we need some young people in our pitch if it's just oh maybe we don't actually maybe we've, we've none of us liked the love interest stories yeah. um unless we can do something interesting with it and you know twist it yeah. but i think there has to be some likability because especially in a trump style white house put herbert west in there it's a hotbed of terrible people really yeah i mean she like the wife of the president seems like someone you could get a lot of sympathy for, perhaps potentially. I don't know. Although maybe not. You could have a, a young reporter trying to get mm. in there again, but then that's just the third one again. Mm. What about a White House staff member who's just kind of non-partisan? You know, mm. they've got those people who work there that don't like that just stay with the building. And... They're sort of like civil servants, aren't they? Yeah, what we have here. Yeah. Yeah, and and who are we going for as the president? Because I mean, William H Macy might have played as a bumbling buffoon George Bush president. He doesn't play as an evil twat president, which is kind of how you'd have to do it now. So, I mean, you could get a bald one in. It's almost a bit too obvious. I, I don't know. Thomas F Wilson. Oh my God! Yeah, <laughs> probably afford him as he well. I was going to say that's perfect. That <laughs> it's actually perfect. Although I know he doesn't like talking about the. Um, the Biff comparisons to Trump, apparently. He's not a big fan of talking about that. Oh no, he's a Republican. <laughs> I don't think he I don't think so. I think he I think it, it comes across like he feels guilty for getting like normalizing the idea of President <laughs> Trump or something. That's funny. Oh, poor guy. Clancy Brown! Is he alive? Clancy Brown. <laughs> actually, no, he he was he did a he played a zombie in Pet Cemetery too. Actually, that's too close to the bone, isn't it? Yeah. Um, that's right. So right, let's get, let's, let's just convince Thomas F. Wilson then. What, what, what is Doctor West's motivation in this film? What's his job first of all, and what's he trying to do? But if we're gonna if we're gonna pull this forward another fifteen years, wouldn't it be good if if we're at a point where he has kind of cracked it, he's solved it, and um, and now the big problem for the world is uh, population crisis, or <laughs> or you know if he has solved death now. It's still, but it's still only available to you know the very rich, and so you've got rich old white men are suddenly becoming extremely populous, uh, whereas younger people, <laughs> the, the young and poor, are, are dying off. So it's just yet another mm. example of the of the healthcare system at work. Do you want to know the tagline they had for this film on this dreadful poster with a photoshop? Oh. William H Macy as a zombie. What was it? <laughs> Nomination. In- inauguration, reanimation. Oh, mm. there's another one. Of the dead, by the dead, and for the dead. 
<laughs> That's pretty good, actually. I quite like that one. Um, summer 2007, it says at the bottom. So, Well, there's another idea here that apparently was also being thrown around, but didn't happen. They were going to do an Island of Dr. Moreau thing with, with her. Oh, West. Yeah. oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. Island of Reanimator, but that never went anywhere. So that would have been really cool as well, actually. But yeah, There's so, so many things that you could do with it. So if you got... They kind of flirt with this idea in the in the films, but using reanimation goop as a recreational drug. Mm. So what, <laughs> if, what if Herbert West sort of breaks bad and, and starts selling um, <laughs> the green stuff uh, to, to fund oh, his research? God. And then you could do like, oh, reanimator in the hood, because he's like, you have to go to the, to the hood. To, <laughs> that to was sell, a big dollar back in the early your, uh... <laughs> hmm. I um, I mean, initially I thought that's a, just a quick gag, silly idea, but no, that could actually be really cool. The the idea of doing a kind of like you say, you know, dealing with drug deals and all that kind of stuff, mm. but the zombies. And then you around. then that you can do be... all sorts of metaphors for like drug use and zombies, like. Who's on the drugs and who's a zombie man? <laughs> I think it'd be good because he'd probably really hate it as well, like having to do that side of things. Yeah, he would. I mean, obviously, and he'd to be associate using the money with to those fund sorts his of people. Own. Yeah, I think so. Um, and he'd always be itching to make the the deals go wrong, so he has some bodies to play. With. <laughs> yeah, and you could give him like an Aaron Paul kind of sidekick to uh, uh, to sort yeah. of be the comic yeah. relief. A psychic that wouldn't be just annoying and bland. That would work really well, yeah. <laughs> but if you can't die of an overdose from it, can you? Because it just keeps you alive. <laughs> Maybe if you take too much, you just go full zombie and you can even like infect other people for a bit because you're passing some of the remnants of the fluid into them. Hmm. Sexually transmitted zombification. Yeah, depending on how much, yeah, on how much of it you've got so? in your system. Absolutely Sexually transmitted zombies, is that? Yeah. Oh, you know it's been done. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but mm. um, I don't think I've ever seen it done, but it, it has. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that this does lend itself quite nicely to a, a sitcom. Uh, oh, right. TV's, TV's the, the big deal these days, so yeah. this mm. would actually work itself. This would, yeah, in a post-Ash versus Evil Dead world, in a in a world where they're making a Chucky TV series at the minute, continuing mm. the, the story. Well, and you'll remember that that was the original pitch, that it would be a TV series, so bringing it back to, yeah. Could he be in Las Vegas and he works for a magician coming up with new tricks and all the <laughs> tricks are basically this animal looks like it's being killed and then it comes back to life? Wow, how do you do it, West? Ah, uh, you know. Tricks of the trade. I think, well, I mean, Dr. Hill's head's still out there somewhere, so uh, <laughs> will they do something with that? Take that on. Because they found his head at the, uh, in Bride of Reanimator, the dropper line that it was being used in, like, a sideshow as an attraction. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would work. If this was a TV series, that would be a really good... You know that mid-season lull? <laughs> when people are losing interest, then you end episode yeah. six with the, the, the carnival, like, sideshow and the camera slowly <laughs> zooms in and his head's there and you think, oh shit! He's coming! <laughs> what about um, Apocalypse Now reanimator where someone someone has to go and sort of travel to find Dr. West but he's actually gone mad and he's sort of living in this cult of people that he's reanimated 
<laughs> he's, and he's really fat and hasn't learned I mean, that's very similar to Ireland Adopted Moreau reanimator as well I know that's it? what I'm but, trying to think what about Godfather what, reanimator <laughs> what about Western reanimator and he lives on a ranch <laughs> out in the middle of nowhere now but it's like no country for old men style reanimator he's coming to terms with it unforgiven reanimator he's coming to <laughs> James terms Bond with reanimator. he's aging he's an old man he's got like zombies on the ranch to play with ideas of mortality. Maybe he's dealing with his own death. Maybe he finds Ooh. out he's got a disease or something. Um, oh, that'd be interesting. And as an older person, that would work. And yeah. then, so then it's like a moral decision of, do I want to keep myself alive? Is it, does, is this really life? Um, and all that. <laughs> or can he get his sort of essence into a, a young, fresh body or something like that? Essence. Mm. His essence into a young body. <laughs> <laughs> How would he get it in there? Would he inject it in? We've come up with about 17 ideas there. Yeah. <laughs> Surprising amount of life in this, I think. Yeah, I think it's just because that character, you know, will just transfer anywhere. Be good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, do, do you guys think they'll ever do anything else with it? I, I think yeah. I think too much time's passed and it's kind mm-hmm. of... I could see like I... a, a reboot or something happening, just a flat-out new take on it. It, is, line, it but... is just high-profile enough to, yeah, get a yeah. A, a complete like a kind of Danny McBride reboot. I uh, yeah, I think even that's a bit too uh I, I, I could certainly see like a TV remake kind of thing, like a Bates Motel style take on it. Cause mm. there you kind of got your chance at a fresh new audience, but you know, it's not tied to the original. Yeah. I could definitely see that happening. But I, I don't think there'll ever I be can't... anything in the same continuity that I don't think there'll be another movie. If you were just gonna try and remake it and like re like do the same story again, I can't see what you would do that would overawe it. You know, it would just yeah. But I'd say that about ninety percent of these movies to TV show adaptations that have happened, and a lot of them have been very good. I would have said that about Bates Motel. Yeah, but at least that that's long form enough that it's it's taking it off in different areas. I'm talking about if you just remade a film. Well, yeah, but I mean, Bates Motel was essentially pitched as we're doing Psycho, remaking the film as a TV series. So obviously, Mm. if you did it, you'd add in all new plot strands and side characters and some some ideas there. Yeah, plenty of ideas. (laughs) Happy Halloween, listener. That was our Halloween special for the year, where we did the Reanimator trilogy. That means that October is now done, which means that we're moving on from horror movie uh, fair, and now we're going to give you eight weeks of Christmas films. Yay! No, not really, but we are doing a Christmas film next week. Huzzah! Uh, Just another reminder that there is a bonus mini episode of the podcast available on our website and our SoundCloud, where Alan and myself review the film Venom with our mystery guest, who is also the guest who will be appearing on next week's episode. Do go and check that out, dimreturns.com, and please do go and rate and review us on iTunes. Just a reminder that we are now accepting requests for future episode topics via the medium of iTunes reviews. And as ever, go and find us on Facebook, Twitter, and all that stuff. Spread the word, and have a very pleasant Halloween. And to all, a good night. Where's my rap? You said you'd write me a rap. We're working on it. We just need a rhyme for, and I'm here to say. Melly Bell, and I'm here.
here to say I was born on the 15th day of May And I'm Mr. Ness and I love myself and my date of birth with no zippers as well I know, I'll do a rap Boom, cha boom, cha boom, cha boom. I'm Mr. Plow, and I'm here to say I'm the plow and this guy in the USA. I got a big plow, and I'll move a lot of things. Just like your cow if Please. you have one. Well, my name's Michael Scon, and I'm here to say I'm about to do the Scon in a major way. You jump to the right and you shake a hand And you jump to the left and you shake that hand You meet new friends, you tie some yarn And that's how you do the scone Will With 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 will With with will With 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 will That I'm the biggest rapper in the USA Yeah, my name's Ryan with my DC crew Going on record with a rap for you Well, I'm a peanut bar and I'm here to say Your checks will arrive on another day Another day, another dime, another rhyme, another dollar Another stuffed shirt with another white collar Criminals, Wall Street, taking the pie And all the black man gets is a plate of white lies Prisons recruiting them, police be shooting them Rap artists looting them, labels all diluting them Barack Obama is scared of me Cause I don't swallow knowledge and I spit it for free Let me clear my throat, ha 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 I don't know what that was, I don't I don't know what that was.